Well, last week we started a sermon series called Whole Life Worship, and Pastor John started to unpack this question of what is worship, and we started to see that the things that we do during our gathered worship time, things like prayers, songs, reciting of creeds, remind us of God's bigger story. And I don't know about you, but I love stories. And as a child, I grew up in a dual working household. So mom and dad were outside, and, and I often got lonely, but one of the ways that I would, um, would, would feel less lonely would be by watching movies. And as a child of the 80s, I would take a, 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 a tape, of VCR, if I say like a tape something, most of you guys don't even know younger, like what does that even mean? Anyways, I used to take this, this tape and I'd put it in this VCR thing, and I loved this cinema classic called The Neverending Story. Now, Never Ending Story wasn't my favorite. It was about this kid who was lonely, this kid who, whose mom had died. His name was Bastion. And he, he goes and he, he escapes life through reading, and especially reading fantasy. And so one day he goes into this obscure bookstore and comes across this creepy librarian and sees this book called The Never Ending Story. And he takes the book and he, he runs back to school but he ditches school in school, which I didn't really understand. He goes up to the attic in school and starts to read this story. As he reads the story, he, he realizes that he discovers things about himself, but he also discovers he's part of something bigger. And it's the same for us as it pertains to our worship time, our gathered worship time. Worship shows us the bigger vision of what God is doing in and through us in the world. And today's message is what worship shows us. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I just want to give you a little context to the book of Ephesians. Paul had, had planted a church in Ephesus. We see that in Acts 19. And Ephesus is in Asia Minor, and it's this diverse metropolis it's, it's the intersection of all these major trade routes. And Ephesus was known um, for one of its seven wonders of the world in the ancient times, which was the, the temple to the, the, the god Artemis. And so it was heavily steeped in occult worship. So people in Ephesus understood worship, but they understood it in a totally different way. And so Paul goes there and he plants a church, and in, in verses 15 through 23, Paul prays that those in Ephesus would have a deeper understanding of God's cosmic vision and a deeper understanding of their role in that vision. And the, the conduit for us to understand that vision is worship, is gathered worship time. And the church at Ephesus had a, a, a tainted view of what worship was, and, and for some of us, we have a tainted view of what worship is. We come from a certain tradition or maybe no tradition at all, or we're just so busy that worship takes on a totally different meaning. And therefore, it, it, it has no impact. We often gather here and wonder, what exactly is happening here? What, what's, what is it meant to do? And so today what I want to do is I want to, to look at Paul's prayer, and I want to extract three things that give us a, a bigger vision of the purpose of our gathered worship time, the stuff that we're doing right now, which my, my prayer is that it will empower you and bring us purpose in our everyday. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this time. We entreat you by your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we don't, do not know. So, Lord, show up. Show us what you want. Show us this vision, Lord. 
So we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing we see is that worship shows us a compelling vision. So in the never-ending story, this kid Bastion is, is reading this book, and, and as he reads this book, he sees this vision of this world filled with wonder, and he gets all excited. And, and for us, we see that worship shows us a compelling vision of a wonder-filled God. Verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We see that in worship, we see this God, this majestic God, this triune God, this God that is so up there. He's, he's bigger than we possibly could imagine. We can't even wrap our arms around him. He's just so different than us. He's so holy, and he's triune. He's three but one. What does that mean? And we see that God, because he's a triune, he's a trinity, he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is relationally content within himself. God does not need us. God isn't sitting there going, man, I'm so lonely. Love me, I'm so lonely. He's relationally content within himself, which just highlights more of the fact that he draws us to himself. And that's even way beyond us in our understanding. But although he is way up there and he's higher than we could possibly imagine, he's also very close to us. We see that in worship. We see a God that wants us to know him better. So he takes these, these diametrically opposed things and brings them into one. He wants us to understand him personally, distinctly, and truly. And for the, the, the Ephesians, this is really hard for them to wrap their minds around. Because they're used to the, of, of idol worship and temple worship, which was these gods that were way big and aloof. So the idea of a personal God made no sense to them. And, and for us, that's, that's the same for some of us. So how does God do this? He does this through his Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit gives us this capacity to understand the divine things of Christ and, and apply them in our lives. But this only happens when we engage God with our whole being in worship. And it starts here in our gathered worship. As we pray, as we hear his word, as we sing these songs. It's not about the mechanics of it. It's about totally just focusing on him. You can sit in these pews and not worship. And many of us have lost this compelling vision of worship. And we must regain it back. It's not a matter of 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 being trivial about this. It's a matter of survival. Some of us are not surviving Monday through Saturday. We have to get worship right. So how do we do this? First, we must remember that worship isn't about us. It's not about us. Somewhere, some, somewhere along the line, it became about us. Some, somewhere along the line, it became about good music, a good sermon preached by a, a, a charismatic pastor. Somewhere along the line, it came about being fed. I want to be fed instead of rendering everything to God. You see, when you want to be fed and you want to be fed, you get fat, and we have fat sheep. And if you just want to be fed all the time and you walk into the world, you walk through Monday through Saturday, you're getting fed garbage and it doesn't measure up. But if you render everything to God, everything, your whole being, that's a totally different paradigm. It's called to render things to God. And it starts here in our gathered worship. 
We must remember that worship is first and foremost about meeting the God of the universe face to face. It has to be that way. Or it will not propel us into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and beyond. I want you you to read this, this compelling vision. Just listen to this. This is Paul giving this compelling vision in verse 3 through 14 of Ephesians 1. He says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's the compelling vision here. God, God chose us. He predestined us. Why? Because we're that lovable? Let's, let's face it, we're not. Because we're that lovable? Because we're that good? Let's face it, we're not. And sin separates us from God. Yet God, God sends his only son, Jesus Christ, who lives a perfect and righteous life, who's nailed to a cross, but is resurrected three days later, and we put our faith and trust in him. We too are resurrected. And we're part of this bigger plan, this plan for renewal of all things. Does this compel you? Does it compel you? You, it's all right, you can amen. It's all right. So this is the gospel. The gospel is a compelling message. It's the most compelling message. We should be in awe of this. And so it's not enough just to hear the gospel by myself or Pastor John, whoever we're having preach on Sundays. You have to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Every single day. So my question is, is, when was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? When were you on your way to work? When were you making peanut butter and jelly for the kids? When were you, whatever, preaching the gospel to yourself? Because we need to hear it continually. Preach the gospel to yourself. That's the first thing. The second thing, worship shows us a renewing vision. Worship shows us a renewing vision of the future. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You might, you might have this perception of mind, this volition, the, the emotions. Maybe you, you, you would have understanding in all ways. In order that you may know. That word know doesn't mean like that you know in your head. It means this reflective, intrinsic knowledge that you know in your whole being. The hope to which has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
And in, in the, the movie, uh, The Neverending Story, this magical world is called Fantasia. And it's, it's just filled with all this wonder. But there's this, this thing that's sweeping through the land of Fantasia. It's this darkness that's called the nothing. And it's, and it's destroying everything. And it's destroying hope of the people of Fantasia. And the people in this, this fictitious land put all their hope in this empress, this childlike empress, this, this little girl. But it's misplaced, misplaced hope because she doesn't have the power to do that. She has no power to stop this nothing. And we too often put our hope in misplaced things, people and places and ideas. And these things aren't necessarily bad things. That's the hard thing. Some of these are very good things. But they can't withstand the weight of the world and are nothing. They just can't do it. They weren't designed for that. That's why our hope is centered on Christ Jesus. Because he can withstand everything and has withstand everything and will withstand everything. So everything during our gathered worship time is about Christ, the one who destroyed the great nothing of sin and death and who is renewing all things in and through us. It has to be that way. As soon as worship stops being about Christ, it's no longer worship. It might, might be a nice gathering, but it's not worship. We see that worship shows a renewing power that is within us. Verse 19 says, In his incomparably great power for us who believe. That, the power, that power is the same as the mighty strength. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Here's the thing, folks. We're not people who are powerless. We're not. We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, we have the Holy Spirit that has indwelt us. It's the power of Christ. And the enemy uses shame, social pressure, stereotypes, and our own natural sinful disposition to make us feel helpless and powerless. And many of us succumb to this savior complex. If, if, if we don't do it, then it's not going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, pastors are the worst at this. Mm-hmm. We're the worst. We think that, that if we don't do something, God's not going to show up. And some of you do the same thing in your lives. You do it with your kids. You do it with your relationship with your spouse. You do it with your friends. You do it at work. If, it's not a, if we are not going to do it, then it's not going to happen. And we become the Savior. But we can't bear that weight. We weren't meant to bear that weight. And we don't have the intrinsic power to bear that weight. But Christ has the power. And we have the power of Christ in us. And there's only one Savior, and it's Christ, not us. So as we gather and we read things like, the Apostles' Creed, and we pray, and we hear his word, we're reminded that our salvation wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a one-time prayer. It's a living, historic, and active renewal that God did, is doing, and will continue to do until we see him face-to-face. Now, how can we remember this? Because we so, we so easily forget stuff like this in our day, don't we? I want you to write this down. You have a pen, I want you to write this down somewhere. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I'll say it again. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Would you guys say that with me? It is no longer I who live, 
by Christ who lives within me. That's Galatians 2.20, by the way. I want to encourage you to meditate on this verse this week. Just write it down somewhere before you brush your teeth, before you go to bed, before you eat, before you do whatever. It's just one verse. I want you to meditate on this. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's the second thing. The third thing. Worship shows us a whole life vision. As the kid Bastion in, in, in The NeverEnding Story is reading this book, The NeverEnding Story, he's, he's realizing that this book is bigger than he could possibly even think. He starts to see his name in the book. And it's almost as if the book is reading him. And it starts to freak him out a little bit. He sees that he might be a part of something bigger. And worship shows us this whole life reign of Christ and our mission and the mission of the church. Verse 22 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. The theologian and and former prime minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, wrote, There is not one square inch in the whole of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Everything is Christ. Everything. Wherever you're at, your every day, that's Christ. The, the four walls, within these four walls, they're Christ. At your home, it's Christ. It's all His. He says, Mine, mine, mine. It's all mine. And as the church, his body, his body that transcends time, space, and matter, which is just blows my mind, we are called to extend his kingdom rule wherever we go as the church scatters. So we gather here, and we hear about these things, and we get this bigger picture, and then we scatter. Why? Because it matters where we're at, and because that's Christ. And he says, that's mine too. So your workplace is Christ. Your home is Christ. That little, you know, car you have is Christ. Everywhere you go is Christ. And we're called to, to spill out of this church. We're called to spill out of these four walls and, and be the church outside of these four walls. Listen, let's just face it right now. No one's going to walk through the, those doors that has never been to church. Generally, no one's going to sit there and go, you know, I've never been to church. I don't really know anything about church. So I'm going to go ahead and walk in the door. And look, all these people are like, they're, they're singing about a guy who died. That's kind of weird. And no one's walking in these doors. No one's walking in this church. So we must go to them. We must go to them and bring the kingdom to them. Maybe you're sitting in and you're saying, Brian, but my life is really not that big of a deal. Maybe you're like, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Or, you know, I don't get out much. Or maybe you're like, I have a job that I hate. My life isn't really that big of a deal. But it's bigger than you think. You're part of something bigger. Why? Because everything is Christ. Because the Lord has placed you there for his purposes. Because every part of this world is his, and he's renewing every part of this world. And you are part of that. So it is a big deal. 
Your every day and where he sent you is a big deal. As, as this kid, Bastion, and then everyone... By the way, I remember all the names. I don't remember my kids' names, but I remember all these... <laughs> this kid, Bastion, realized that the never-ending story was a bigger story. And in fact, his story intersected this never-ending story. He was part of this never-ending story. And it's the same thing for us. God has this big story, and we're part of this bigger story. He works in and through us to fulfill his bigger story. So on your bulletin, you'll see the question, where will your story fulfill God's bigger story next? In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's the thing, folks. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon us. And you can see an adaptation in your notes on that. And there's a blank right there. I want you to fill that in. This time tomorrow, where will you be? Because you're there for a purpose. You're not there by accident. So this is the time, as I close, this is the time of seeing things with a new lens. And this is what this gathered worship time is, is meant to do. It's for us to see things in a different way and prepare us as we, as we launch from here, as we go, as the church scatters. So I want us to spend and have a little time of recommitment and prayer time. Just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I want us to pray as well. So would you please stand up with me? On the screen is a prayer. Don't worry about the all and the leader. Let's just say all of this together. So let us pray. Open us up, God, for all you have for us today. Open our eyes, God, to see you reflect in every human face. Open our hearts, God, to feel your compassion for the broken world. Open our ears, God, to hear the whisper of your spirit and the wisdom of your word. Open our hands, God. This is your ministry, your kingdom, your power, your glory. Open our lips, God, that our mouths may sing out your praise. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for giving us this vision. We thank you for giving us purpose. So often we feel like our lives don't matter, but Lord, we know that they do matter because we're part of something bigger, your bigger story, and you're working in and through us for the glory of your name, and I thank you, and I pray that we would have this renewed vision as a church, as your church, as your body. So give us the strength, give us the vision. We thank you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.